Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier. I'm the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the largest woman-owned and woman-led advertising and marketing firm in Southern California. But our show, The Deciders, focuses on leadership and change agents. We ask people to tell their stories, offer their insights, their research, that can help us lead stronger lives as business people and make a greater impact on our community. We often explore how we can help people advance into leadership roles, and we ask difficult questions. Today, I want to ask you if you've ever wondered, are there better ways to solve some of our most complex housing needs, especially for women? We know we suffer in the United States from underserved populations, not reaching being able to achieve housing, and it's a major reason for the wealth gap. Our guest today is a woman who has thought about this and has solutions. She's from Canada, Vancouver, Canada, and she is the founder and CEO of Purpose Driven Development. Her current project is one that will create 135 long-term rental homes for working women, senior women, and women-led families in need. Welcome to The Deciders, Carla Guerrera. Hi, Renee. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here to have this discussion. Delighted to be here. And I've been reading about your projects. Um, One of the ones that's going to provide a real needed housing for women. Uh, Tell me more about this particular project uh, by women and for women. Why is it so unique? Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So, Um, First of all, I'd like to say that um, this project is a partnership project uh, with an international nonprofit uh, called Seroptimist International. And uh, for the last several years, my company, Purpose Driven Development, has partnered with the Seroptimist International of Vancouver chapter on uh, a redevelopment of a parcel of land that they own in the heart of Vancouver. Um, This piece of uh, this site is very strategically located in the heart of Vancouver, close to transit and hospitals and all kinds of commercial services and amenities. And um, this site was, um, you know, acquired by the original founders of the Seroptimist International of Vancouver in uh, around 1926. Hmm. It was acquired. And just to back up a little bit, the mandate of Seroptimist is to improve the lives of women and girls. So they are um, an international organization focused on improving the lives of women and girls. And uh, they do that through education and awards and scholarship. But they are the only chapter internationally that owns real estate. So that sort of made them unique. And we formed a partnership in 2018 on this project. And just to back up a little bit, my company, Purpose Driven Development and Planning, um, is focused on redevelop, um, unlocking the potential for redevelopment to create communities where we all can thrive. So we are, uh, we are, we have deep expertise in real estate development. I've been leading over a billion dollars of real estate development projects across Canada over the last twenty years. And so essentially this partnership was an ideal one at an ideal time where they had land and a mandate to improve the lives of women and girls. And we, you know, brought our real estate development expertise into a partnership with them. And essentially what happened is um, back a few years ago now, we sort of sat down to say, 
you know, with this very, you know, high value strategically located site in the heart of Vancouver, how can we take this nonprofit mandate that you have around improving the lives of women and girls and translate that into a real estate development project on the ground? What does this look like? What does this feel like? What can we do? What legacy can we create together? And so it was really at that time that we came up with the vision for this project. And the vision for this project is to create housing for women by women. And so this is really, Renee, the first project of its kind in North America that we are aware of. And as you said, it's uh, delivering 135 units of, uh, of affordable housing at different levels of affordability. And it's delivering housing for seniors and uh, workforce women and women-led families. And so the other part of the, the project which makes it extremely unique is that we're delivering this project by an all-women team. Oh, I like so, that. That's wonderful. Yeah. So right across kind of the design, um, the development. So we're the development lead. And, you know, as a, as a woman-owned development company, we're one of the few that exists. Um, as you know, it's a very male dominated industry, the development and construction industry. And so we decided to pull an all women team together, everything from architects to the geotechnical engineer and the appraiser and the surveyor and the structural engineer. Um, we decided to pull an all women team together for the purpose of demonstrating leadership of women in this sector that we know exists and that often is just not at the leadership table. Congratulations. That's an important statement to make. And uh, as we all know, I think it was Gina Davis who said, you can't be it if you can't see it. So letting girls see that there could be this full team of women that bring something from nothing to a full building. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Where are you on the, t the track to this? Where are you in the process to building this wonderful facility, this Optimus? Yeah, so great question. I mean, as, as I said, this project's been a few years in the making. Um, we uh, were able to um, bring some financial and funding partners on board uh, with some local financial institutions who backed the project early and allowed us to get some pre-development financing and, and funding released. And then through that, through hiring um, our team of architects and engineers and landscape architects, we were able to, you know, come up with an early design and develop the design. Uh, and then we were able to then partner with our provincial government, BC Housing, to get some other, um, you know, loans and financing and some grants in place because this is primarily an affordable housing project. Uh, and then we were able to bring on our federal government to help support the project also through some grants and some loans. And um, so right now, uh, with that funding and financing that's been in place, we have able to get through our municipal entitlements process. And as of July of this year, uh, we just got the, the site rezoned, which is kind of the major entitlements risk. Yes. Uh, and so that took, you know, a couple of years to get that in place, but that's now in place. And uh, we're just right now submitting uh, what's called here. We're working through all of our ag agreements to enact the rezoning at this stage. And then we expect to be under construction by August of 2022 with this project. So all of the entitlements and improvement risk is gone. We've overcome that hurdle 
Um, the design is well underway and well developed. And um, we've also overcome all of our financing risk and funding risk. So the major risks on the project are overcome and we are about to enter into construction in uh, August of next year. And I expect it will be about 24 months of construction. So by uh, August or summer, let's say summer of 2024, we will have women and their families moving into this building. Fantastic. That's wonderful. I, I don't think people realize the elaborate and uh, labyrinth of a process that it takes uh, to build something of this nature and scale. So I commend you for doing that. You know, one of the reasons this hasn't happened more often is there are a lot of barriers, uh, barriers to women and barriers to development of specifically for women. Can you talk a little bit about those barriers that exist? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I think what's what's you know what's under uh, understood, let's say, or or less understood, but quite well researched, is that women face a disproportionate um, gap and barrier when it comes to accessing affordable housing. And the reason that exists is, you know, there, there are several reasons that that exists, and it, it's worth just noting what those are. So. You know, the first reason that women face a disproportionate um, barrier in accessing affordable housing is that um, women are far overrepresented, disproportionately overrepresented in low wage service based work. And we just need to look around to, you know, our communities where we live um, to see that, you know, um, right. you know right. women are primarily represented in these lower wage service based jobs. And so um, that combined with uh, the fact that there is a gender-based wage gap uh, that still exists across every sector that we know of as well. And then combine that on top of, um, you know, the fact that women also face disproportionate impacts from, you know, gender-based violence and domestic violence in their homes really puts women at, uh, you know, difficulty in, in finding and accessing safe, long-term, affordable housing. There's just simply an economic and a social barrier that women face. And, um, you know, when we look at what's happened over the last two years with the COVID pandemic, we also know that each of these three reasons that, you know, put women in a compromised position to accessing affordable housing in cities where housing is expensive and difficult to access, COVID has actually amplified every single one of those, um, those three, right. three reasons I just mentioned. Right. And so, you know, before COVID, we had started this project several years ago before COVID because we knew that there's this disproportionate um, barriers that women face to, to their housing needs and getting their housing needs met. But through the last, you know, 24 months, this project has just become even more, um, you know, critically important. And, and, you know, I think everyone who's been involved with the project in some way has recognized that it's really now more than ever that we need more housing uh, for women um, like this project is delivering. I think it's wonderful. I, you know, we, we talked before the, uh, the show started about the potential argument of discrimination in the United States. I have been associated with some nonprofits that have tried to build all female housing and they have come up against some barriers uh, uh, with people drawing lawsuits around discrimination that 
you're not allowed to exclude anyone. Now, I understand that men can live in this housing, but in the cases in the United States, there's been a, a, a conservative backlash, if you will, related to the fact that they're going to just, you know, prefer women over men. How are you handling that? And have you had to deal with that at all, Carla, in your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it has come up. Um, you know, it's come up through some of our professional uh, media channels, not profession, professional uh, channels, uh, online channels, and it's definitely come up with uh, some of the social media channels that this project's been featured on. Um, but it, it's certainly, um, aside from the sort of public perception of that, in terms of the organizations that we work with, in terms of our, you know, our federal government and our provincial government, municipal governments, I think there is, um, you know, there's there's a strong understanding that women face disproportionate barriers um, in terms of their housing needs and their ha- and access to housing. Um, in fact, you know, Canada just released in September of this year the largest um, first ever national survey survey of women experiencing homelessness and their their disproportionate housing needs. And it finds there's huge discrimination, in fact, against women in accessing housing equally. And so because this research exists, um, there, you know, are there are some policies and, and there are some programs out there that you know, how, are trying to correct the uh, disproportionate barriers that women face. And so I think in the face of the research and the statistics that exist that show the disproportionate barriers women face in accessing housing, um, you know, those, those comments about providing housing focused on women can just like they disappear typically and, and fall away in, in light of the facts. No, I'm glad to hear that, Carla. I think that's uh... Uh, we we see some of that in the United States. I'm part of a group called 5050 Women on Boards, uh, serving on their national board. And this is an initiative to get gender balance on corporate boards. We already have the dominance on nonprofit boards. And uh, there was a law passed in California, SB 26, that mandated companies based in California have to have one woman in 2019, two in 20, and three in 21. And there are now a couple of lawsuits coming up the pike from very conservative groups saying that it's discriminatory. But uh, to your point, uh, the local LA Times, local Wall Street, not local, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times have all supported this because the evidence is very clear that there are these barriers. And I think in particular on the housing side with underserved women, they're systemic, right? As you said, women are in lower paid jobs. Women are often uh, the primary caretaker for the children. So they take time off in their career. And if a child is ill and it it keeps them down, of course, we see that in in wage differences. I I also think that there's a disempowerment of women taking away their power. And we see that in in certain cultures stronger than in others. Uh, But I understand in your situation, these leases are going to be held by women. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, I mean, obviously, like some of the families um, and and women who will live uh, in this project, in this development, um, you know, they're going to have male children, they may have male significant others and partners. And so, you know, we didn't want to be um, in any way saying men cannot live in this beautiful building. Um, we wanted to just keep the economic security with women and, and ensure that, you know, women have the security of, of the housing. Um, so in order to do that, we will, 
with Sir Optimist will, so Sir Optimist will own the project for the development lead, but just to be clear, Sir Optimist is the owner. And so what they will do is ensure that the leases are all held with the women. Great, great. Yeah. I think it's, it makes a statement for the women and it makes them feel proud when they have ownership. I know having worked a lot on the homelessness problem in California, we find that when we give people a home, there is a sense of obligation and pride that they take in the space. You can feel it when you go and visit folks in these facilities and it takes over in a lot of different ways. Sometimes there's more of a push for sobriety, getting educated, getting a job, all those things, which are very positive ripple effects. Let me change the subject, Carla, and talk a little bit about you as a CEO. You're in a very strong male uh, dominated sector, the development sector, uh, residential and commercial. You've been in it quite a while. I commend you for the success you've had. Tell us about your experiences and how have you dealt with some of the unconscious bias that you experience as a woman in a male-dominated industry? Thank you. Yeah, so um, I founded Purpose Driven Development um, in uh, 2016. So the company is is just five years old. Uh, and, and I founded the company partially because of the experience that I had after you know, working in the sector for 20 years. Um, and the kind of the approach that that we wanted to take, which was to bring a triple bottom line approach to to development projects and to the built form, because essentially we believe that real estate development is one of the most powerful tools to transform our built environment and the way we live and experience the built, built environment for generations to come. So it's, you know, it's a powerful industry and um, leading real estate development uh, is a really powerful role to create a, a transformative change, both, uh, you know, economically, environmentally and socially. So that's really why, why I founded this company. Uh, but having, you know, worked in, in public and private sector development for the past over two decades, I certainly had a variety of experiences. Um, as one of the only you know, women leads at the development and decision-making table uh, within these organizations, uh, you know, oftentimes you know, was uh, one of the only female decision-makers within the companies and was certainly most of my career uh, the only woman leading development projects of the scale um, that, I, that I was leading them at. So, um, I would say there were both positive and negative experiences in that, Renee, um, but things really changed when I had children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it becomes very difficult for um, companies that are owned and primarily led by men on, on the boards, you know, to your point about having more equal representation on boards, this is case in point, right? When there's really only men in the leadership role of companies or at the board level, or at the executive level, I think it becomes very difficult for those companies to understand the, you know, multiple de- demands that that women face um, as women once they start having families. And you know, I face that certainly in the in the development industry. And um, you know, that was one of the reasons I decided to, to start my own company is, is I wanted more, a more family-friendly environment for me as a woman with young children. Um, but I love the work and I was passionate about leading projects and I knew I had the, the experience that, uh, that, that the sector needed. And so, um, 
yeah, I, I think there's a, a big room for improvement um, in the development industry and, and any industry that still, you know, doesn't have that, you know, equal representation of women on their boards, in their senior leadership, in their executive positions, because the experiences of men and women are, are very different, you know, as much as we want to think that uh, it's a level playing field out there, it's not. <laughs> and I don't think it will be for a long time. For a long time. I mean, we're hoping we're seeing change. And I will say this, in the research I've done, the young men are more interested in family life and balance at this stage, you know, when they're under 40, I'll say, whether that'll perpetuate itself all the way up to 65 or 70 when they're in the boardroom, I don't know. You know, I had a similar experience. I ran a division for a big ad agency, Pacific Region, $150 million. And I can tell you the turning point. I had uh, two small girls. They sent me to Tokyo to give a series of speeches and meet our clients. I came back and on Sunday, it was my daughter's third birthday. And, uh, they let me know on Friday that they want me to, I flew back into LA and they wanted me to get on a plane on Sunday to go to New York and appear before the board. And it was, you know, obviously a big deal to present to the board, but I said, I can't do that. I'm, I've got to celebrate my daughter's birthday on the third. I, I'll be happy to come to the meeting in a month, but I've been away for two weeks in Japan. I'd really like to spend the full weekend with my, my family. And I know that was a turning point in terms of how I was appreciated in the company. And it was a turning point for me. You know, when I turned down the company, now a man probably wouldn't have made that claim, but I did. And uh, not too far after that, I started my own company. So sadly, I think a lot of women are leaving the corporate world because they don't get the freedom uh, that they'd like to have. And they, they find that in their, their own companies. And then it sounds like you've lived what you speak of, right? You've created family-friendly policies in your own company. Yeah, I think that the flexibility is there and uh, it's, uh, you know, you kind of create it as, as the lead of your company. And my experience was very similar to yours where it just didn't, it didn't feel sustainable to, to lead the family life and do the work that I love and was passionate about and, and that I was, you know, very experienced in and talented at. And it kind of felt like that I, I would need to, um, you know, if I wanted to do it my way, I was going to have to sort of start a, start a company in order to do the type of work that felt aligned with my values and do it in a kind of way um, to balance um, my family responsibilities in the way that was aligned with, with what I wanted as well. And a very similar experience. To similar. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure that when you when you reach a certain level, there's almost a test. You're you're a part of a a, a game that's played in terms of. Um, uh, being able to prove your cudgels, and, and it's typically in a man's world. In my experience, it's being able to drink with them, you know, which I would leave the table early. And it was a matter of, uh, you know, being able to work long, long hours and make sacrifices for the company. Uh, play golf was often a part of it as well. But anyway, I think a lot of women have found their own paths. And now with entrepreneurship so successful and so popular, uh, there are other avenues and we, we have to stand up as pioneers and role models and share our stories so that other young women feel, feel empowered. I, 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 are there other purpose-driven development companies in Canada or is that a, kind of a, an unusual niche to be in? Purpose yeah. yeah, it is very unusual. I think we are, um, we're certainly the only one that is led by women and, um, 
Yeah, I think there, you know, Vancouver has uh, another company here that, that does kind of similar work on the affordable housing side. I think, um, you know, there, there, is, there is certainly a, a huge opportunity um, and, you know, I know L.A. has a, a huge homelessness and housing issue, much like Vancouver. Wow. And, you know, what I'm really excited about and see opportunities for and where our company really focuses is, you know, working with organizations who have land um, and want to, um, you know, create some kind of uh, social purpose or some kind of legacy with their land that is economically viable and environmentally sustainable and creates social legacy. And so we partner with those organizations as the, as the developer, as the development lead um, to unlock the potential of those lands. Um, so, uh, and that's really how this housing for women by women came is, is there's, you know, there's nonprofits, there's churches, there's governments, there's institutions. And a lot of them are, you know, have great land and, and huge potential on their land to create really innovative projects like the one we're doing here in Vancouver. So um, I think what we're doing is quite unique. I think it's a model that's very transportable to other cities. Right, definitely. I think, yeah, I think every city deserves projects like this to help solve its housing issues, um, especially when it comes to housing for, for women at different stages of their life. There's just a huge demand and a huge opportunity. And, and I think we've got a, a model that's able to replicate this in other places as well. You'll be a case study for a lot of us. I have to tell you, I'm going to look at what you've done and see if it's possible to bring together a group in Los Angeles. We certainly need it. The vast majority of our homeless are women and children. And uh, I know it used to be 40% and it's higher than that now as a result of the pandemic. And I commend you also for finding the financing, the grants and getting the government support. I think we're going to see more of that uh, coming out of this uh, pandemic for sure. I want to thank you, uh, Carla, for a terrific uh, interview. This has been a conversation with Carla Guerrera, founder and CEO of Purpose Driven Development, a company that is focused on a specific project we talked about, housing by women for women, particularly focused on low-income women. Thank you for spending time with us here on The Deciders. You can hear our podcasts anytime on our website at FraserCommunications.com. As you know, Fraser is a full-service mission-driven organization, advertising and communications, including social and digital media are our specialty. You can contact us at FraserCommunications.com. We'll be back next week. Have a great week ahead. And we'll see you on The Deciders with Renee Frazier.